I can work with whoever I want. I'm not married to these two people and their opinions. You know, I could even, I am like the, the real breakthrough would be if I could call one of them and be like, Hey, do you want to work on a song together? You know, but then that would, that would really just make it a yes. <laughs> Welcome to the Showcast, a show about music, culture, and Memphis. As we live into our mission of building community through music, education, and diversity, we look forward to interviewing artists, musicians, movers, and shakers about how they're writing their own stories and building their own communities. For almost 90 years, the Shell has stood the test of time as a beacon of hope in the heart of Memphis. This podcast is brought to you by Orion Federal Credit Union where a big part of us is being a big part of the community. Visit orionfcu.com to see how Orion is redefining banking. Anand, thank you so much for joining us on the Shellcast. Super excited to chat with you. Really, to kick things off, I wanted to ask a, a fun question you know, who is Anand Wilder? If you could describe yourself using five adjectives. Oh, my God. I, I hate distilling myself into, into, into small little bites. God, I would say I'm a happy person, a passionate person. I love to laugh. And I love good food. And I'm obsessed with music, I'd say. Awesome, awesome. With those adjectives, those were verbs. I don't really know. I never never was good with the grammar, you know. <laughs> close enough, close enough. Uh, I feel like we got a good kind of snapshot. And so you're, you're originally from Baltimore, correct? That's right. Yep. Born and raised. Awesome. What was it like growing up in Baltimore? And I guess, how did it musically influence you and how you create today? You know... I was so steeped in music in Baltimore and I didn't, you know, I kind of took, took it for granted at the time. Um, but from age two, I was playing, at age two, I started playing violin because my older sister was in this program. It was called the Baltimore Talented Talent Education Center. Oh, cool. And, and it was a, I think it was a, a tax funded uh, program. Wow. It was very, very cheap. And then eventually, and, I, and it was just like full on cello lessons. Weekly Whoa. private lessons. I mean, it's it's insane how much money I spend for my daughter in New York to get piano lessons. Yeah, it, it was all. F I just took it for granted. It was just like, and it was that was where I that was my church. You know, I'm not I'm not, not a wow. religious person, but it was every Saturday was orchestra. Every Thursday was was cello, and my my dad was my chauffeur, and he would just take me. And I really felt like kind of this royalty because you know, I was pretty good at cello i was pretty good and it was like nice. don't let him don't let him uh wash dishes you know you don't want to mess up the cello fingers <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that <laughs> right. and then uh in third grade i distinctly remember being in the car and over here and listening to the radio and it was this director of his boy choir saying that he wanted people to come and my mom was like do you want to do this too and i was like yeah i'll do it and so that was every that was two practices monday and wednesday every week wow. And then those were those performances were usually at churches, you know. Mm -hmm. It was like Sundays, so it was just full on all the time, you know. Wow! And I loved it, you know. It was it was great. I and then you go to the orchestra camps and the and the choir camps and, and you know going on these 
trips to New York to play in some, you know, it's like all these, all these memories of childhood. And then, uh, and then in school, I went to, I went to this kind of, uh, this private school outside of Baltimore and, and, uh, there was a pretty good arts program there too, like very good, like musical theater. And so I was acting in all the plays, you know, I can still quote, you know, I was like the Prince of Morocco and stuff. <laughs> Shakespeare and and all the into the woods and that kind of thing. So that happened. And then by the time you're, I was in eighth grade, then it was like, okay, let's let's learn how to play guitar. I kind of learned how to play guitar on my own. Oh, cool. Learning chords from from friends and and then it was like, okay, I guess we got to start writing songs. That's a cool thing to do. You got to do it. So I was in a couple bands in high school. And actually, the 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 band I was in before I'm solo is Yesayer. Was right. A friend of mine, Chris Keating, who I went to school with from first grade on whoa okay so we were kind of like ne'er-do-well art artist buddies and and he, he was more on the visual art side of things but really great singer great songwriter and we would we would make funny funny like vaudeville style french videos for a french class and stuff like that and then and then oh, we wow. were band together so and it was this real connection where after, you know i went to college for a few years i didn't really get i didn't really get into the whole academic thing it was just Gotcha. For me, because I'm not a visual artist, so I didn't I, I didn't go to um, art school, and I didn't continue doing cello in in college. I, I went I I did American history of all things, um, <laughs> and there was still this connection with this guy, and I would visit and go up and visit him at, at Rhode Island School of Design, and there was a real kindred spirit with all these these art all these visual artists were all trying to be in bands too. <laughs> and I, here I was, I had this this classical music background. I'm like, I I know what a G minor seven is, you know. <laughs> So that was kind of the that was the collaboration because you know really the the pop music thing is a real com- combination of of uh, artistic thing and then a music mm-hmm. thing, you know. Wow, and I mean, you mentioned making these vaudeville style films and the connection with you know your collaborator who is at design school. I've just noticed even in your solo work the cinematic nature of your music videos. Thanks. Um, it's 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 pretty dope, and it's yeah. very. Oh, almost like this music is like tell like soundtracking soundtracking this visual. Thanks. Yeah, I was I was very happy that he he sent me a text message after the music video came out. I was like, nice job. Did you shoot that on film? And I was like, thank you for noticing. Yes, I did. <laughs> and the whole atmosphere of the of making the music video, I told him I was like, it really reminded me of when we used to make stuff back in ninth grade or you know tenth grade, just wow. like having fun and just going with crazy ideas and. Yeah, but that, that that was thanks for noticing that. I, I, you know, we we shot that all on film. Spent way too much money on it. Came and it up. It was so worth it. Like, so, oh yeah, my gosh. Thanks. Yeah, I, I, I want to make more. You know. It, have you have you do you kind of like are you interested in cinematography or is that kind of a, another kind of element that you you want to make sure is connected with your music? I love cinema and I love film, but I think I'm actually a horrible cinematographer. Like, I think I'm like the guy who's, you know, my wife and all of her friends are like, take a picture of of us. And I take a thousand pictures and they're just like, <laughs> you are horrible. Do it again. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know. I never <laughs> learned about composition. And like, I just don't have, an, it's not something that comes naturally to me at all. So wow. I, I rely on the expertise of, you know, people that have dedicated their lives to it, you know, awesome. and awesome. then I can, I can say, Oh, let's make it like this 
this, uh, you know, 1940s uh, Bollywood movie. Let's do something like this, the scene. And how can we, how can we have this dream sequence? And we'll figure out the way to, well, to, to show it in, in, through the visual language, you know? Uh, well, I mean, you're now in this solo era and you created your, la your, your debut solo project during the pandemic, correct? That's right. Yeah. Wow. So how has it been now being able to perform it live with, you know, people and outside of kind of that silo of being enclosed and isolated? It's great. I mean, you know, I've, I, I've done a tour already and, uh, I've, I've been collaborating with these, these three musicians and, and one, a, a really strong connection early on, um, right after I finished the record was with this musician named Walter Fancourt and he's from Greensboro, North Carolina. And I met him on tour. He was in this band called Reptar. He plays saxophone. Cool. In, he plays saxophone in this band called Reptar. And I sent him the album and he was like, oh, this is right on my alley. It's like 70s kind of sounding, but it's also got weird meter changes. And I was like, okay, great. Thanks. And he, he would send me, he would just take the songs and play Iwi over, you know, Iwi, the electronic wind instrument. Yeah. And it was just creating this layer on top that, you know, I, I made the foundation, I made the songs, I wrote the lyrics and all that stuff, the chords. And then he's just one of these kind of virtuoso wind players that he could, mm. have, he kind of worked together to say, okay, what could, what could this song use? Oh, let's, let's try some flute over it. How crazy can we get it to be and still have the, the skeleton of the song be there. So that's what the, what the live show is like. It's like these, because the, the album is pretty, it's pretty stripped back. I mean, I did spend a lot of time on the production of it, making it sound pleasant and kind of low key and nice. But, yeah. you know, I, the theme when I would go on tour was, you know, the friends who, 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 who could, who felt like they could say stuff to me would say like, man, can you just redo the album? It's way better live. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So it's a real different thing. So it's a real different thing from the from the from the album recording, and I'm using. Uh, he's playing he's playing saxophone on songs. He's playing iwi cool. and flute, and then I have this amazing drummer Ricky Petragula, and he's playing drums. And then this bassist named Sandra Travisani. He's playing bass, holding down the low end, and I'm I'm kind of just floating these these little twelve string guitar, simple little little grooves over it so it's been great you know yeah it was I, I i had to do it was the pandemic forced me to do do it all myself but it was i also just it became a concept of okay i've broken up with this band the whole band was about trusting each other like confiding in each other with these two you know really saying okay this is your opinion or you know and i'm gonna listen to you and this one was like okay if i'm going solo i need to do it all myself you yeah. know and the wonderful thing now that we're out of the pandemic yeah. is I've been collaborating with Walter. He's been coming over and we just awesome. make tons of jams. Uh, I've, you know, this guy, uh, Zach, who's in the band, Jackery, he opened up for me at uh, National Sawdust in, in Brooklyn. Oh, cool. We became really good friends. He plays in this band, Lorraine. Do you know Lorraine? Yeah. Really cool band. And uh, he came over and we wrote a song in a day and I'm really excited about that. So I've been nice recording all the, and, and, and you know, after the, the, the first album being this solo lockdown challenge kind of thing, now I'm really excited to be like, oh wait, I can be a total slut. I can work with whoever I want. I'm not married to these two people and their opinions. You know, I could even, I am like the, the real breakthrough would be if I could call one of them and be like, hey, do you want to work on a song together? You know, but then that yeah. would that would really just make it a yes there. So. 
that's all it is. It's just saying, okay, we're working on this, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And so you've also just recently released a score that you worked on for a film, Cannibalizing the Conductor. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That, that was, so the cinematographer and director uh-huh. of my music videos that we shot on film, the, the videos for Delirium Passes and Fever Seizure. Before he directed those videos, I recorded him and his two, these two co-directors of, they're kind of from this Berlin art scene, dance yeah. And I recorded them doing this live score in my studio. Oh. After doing that, he was like, if you ever need a music video, I'll do a music video for you. So it was kind of this art artist great. And after we did that first one, they were like, for the next one, we really want you to compose music yourself, not just record them. Wow. So the 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 video is like a 30 minute long. Uh, da- they're just dancing. And uh, there's some narrative elements too. And they danced to a soundtrack and I basically had to recreate it without copying, you know. Wow. Keeping the meter the same because it didn't match up with their their thing. But but then and taking a lot of instruction from them. Okay, from here to here, you need to have it be really amped up and it's got to up. And they were like, and hopefully maybe you can use this as an album. And then eventually they said they they did the mix and everything. They did a mix, a sound mix for the debut of it, like. I think it was in November or something like that. And then send me the stereo mix. And I was like, I'm going to put this out. Sounds awesome. Wow. That's amazing. Was this your first score? Yeah, I've done. I, I did a couple scores for just short little pieces for my sister. She used to uh, make films in India. Oh, cool. Uh, so just little like public service announcement things that I've done. But no, this was the first time when it was really making music to accompany this long visual piece and making everything fit in. And it's really, it's a, it's a pretty cool way of, of making music and making decisions that you would never make if you were yeah. into some, uh, you know, song structure where you're like, okay, now we got to go to the chorus. Now we got to go to the, you know, that's awesome. So it was pretty freeing and it, and it's, then it's actually kind of an exciting score because it's not just, it's, there are some ambient soundscapey type things, but then, and then I was like, Oh, let me, let me get back in touch with my synthesizer. They wanted something that was more electronic. So I would spend a lot of time making these really cool piano tones, and then they'd say like, "Oh, you don't piano. It sounds like uh, you know classical ballerina music or something." No, make it a synth. You know, like, okay. Oh, wow. So it was drum machines, and uh, and I was, and you know, after getting away from some of my tricks that I would use with Yesay or some of the more amped up rhythmic stuff, I was like, "No, you know what? I can do this again. I can. I'm, I am one of the guys from this band. I can make something that's a little Yesayery." You know? Yeah, that's really cool. And then you. You even just released it on cassette, which yeah. is great. That's super tight. Yeah. So my my label agreed to put it out um, digitally. You know, I'm super stoked to have a label to handle all that technical stuff of uploading everything to the streaming services so that everybody can access music for free from wherever in the world, you know. Exactly. But then I just felt there was something a little empty about it without making some little- physical object. So um, this friend of mine, George McCracken, who's this, who's an artist who also went to RISD, so I know him through my old bandmate. Cool. He is in school doing a um, landscape architecture degree, and he oh, was telling wow. me about this project that he was doing of uh, of uh, these imagined lichen gardens. Ooh. And so he had to do all these topological, you know, drawings, topographical drawings. And I, he, he showed them to me and I was like, oh, this would be a great kind of Brian Eno-esque ambient album cover. 
And so that's what the, the cover of the cassette is. I love it. I yeah. love it. It looks like these guys in a in a in a kind of weird zone listening to music or something. You know? Yeah, but I like I like the nostalgic approach. And it's not only nostalgic, but it's also I don't know, it's just unique and especially given it's a, a score that you're releasing, I thought it was just a really cool, cool pairing. Thanks. Yeah. And and there is kind of this trend now of ambient electronic weird music being released on tape. Yeah. So a friend of mine, Austin Fisher, he has put out a tape and he was like, yeah, here's the place to do it. I'll, I'll, and he laid out the design too. Awesome. See, I have to rely on these visual artist people because I go, I open up Photoshop to try to make like a flyer for a show and I start to have a fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. Understandable. And I open up Photoshop. I'm like, oh, I need to just go to art school for like one semester just to learn these these things. I'm like, why is the text not working? Why does it keep saying ipsum lorum? Um, just <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Photoshop. Yeah. Oh, but we all have to do it now. That's the thing. Is like when you're just expected to do everything yourself now nowadays, right? It's like yeah, yeah, and then, and then hand it over for free to our corporate overlords. Our techno-corporate overlords. Exactly. Want to learn more about how you can support the Overton Park Shell and its mission of building community through music, education, and diversity? Head to OvertonParkShell.org. You can read up on our history, check out our schedule of events, visit our shell shop to grab all the swag, and find out ways that you can participate in our mission, whether that's through donations, volunteering, sponsoring a concert, or becoming a member of the Shell Circle. Once again, that's OvertonParkShell.org. Is this your first time playing in Memphis? Well, I played in Memphis with Yesair, but I, I, you know, I can't remember where I played in Memphis, but we, I don't think we played there. Awesome. But yeah, I think we even played there on the last, on the last tour. I, 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 I did like a kind of a quasi Graceland trip. You know? Oh, cool. <laughs> I didn't didn't pay the full money to go inside, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, well, fun fact: I actually have never been to Graceland. Most Memphi- I think most Memphians probably have that same response, and it's it's usually kind of like a true sign of a, of a Memphian. If you right, to- <laughs> right. You went to Sun Studios is there too, right? Oh, also, yeah. Yeah, we went there and did that tour, and I was like blown away by the 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 whoever was leading the. That's you know, they're just like so knowledgeable. They've got this like obsessive history with this. Yeah. I'm like, they usually always have great energy too. Yeah, totally. That's more my vibe, you know, like the Roy Orbison and all that guy, Johnny Cash and all that stuff, you know. I understand. Elvis is not, Elvis is great, but he's not like the only guy that I obsessively care about from that era of music, you know. No, no. Definitely a lot of rich history. Um, and I feel like every time you visit Sun, you, you walk away being like, oh didn't know that or like oh man that's amazing like some new tidbit right oh that's awesome well i guess in terms of you know as you're about to embark on this this next run of your tour is there anything else aside from you know additional collaborations that you're working on um that you're working on musically you know i've just started getting into djing (laughs) nice it seems like uh, yeah i had this so i had this friend of mine connor fetting smith who um He's directing a documentary about 
LGBTQ kids in the foster care system. Oh, wow. In America. And he was coming to New York to raise some money so that he can finish up this film. And he and I was like, well, I could DJ it if you want, you know. And so I DJed this event. And then once you kind of like put it out there that you're DJing, then, you know, we live in, I live in New York City. So there's just all these bars that need DJs all the time because they're sick of playing Spotify playlists. <laughs> so it was something that I had kind of avoided because it stressed me out. And actually, Chris from Yesayer was much more into the DJing thing. So I was like, ah, this is his thing, you know. Um, <laughs> so I'm just getting into it. And like within the last two weeks, I'm like, I've been doing just doing so many gigs. And I did a, so I did a CDJ gig. I learned CDJ. And then someone else was like, can you do vinyl? Or unless you're a, someone was like, oh, unless you're a digital dummy. And I was like, no, I'm, I can do vinyl too. I can do it. And so I got really anal about categorizing all my vinyl and 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 it's it's a motivating thing to be like if you're thinking about music in terms of what you can play at a bar and not piss people off and be like this guy is because I, I i don't know that i'm a natural dj like i think when i was you know working the checkout at uh the park slope food co-op and i was playing music off of my i my ipod or my iphone or whatever and i thought i was doing a great job yeah and, and some other checkout lady comes over and she's like could you turn this music down? This is horrible. It doesn't make any sense, these transitions. Oh, and I there I was thinking I was playing really cool stuff, not like your typical. I mean, there is serious, there is a genre called supermarket music, you know, which you go into and then it's just, it's always going to be the same Maroon 5 and Ed Sheeran. And it's fine. That makes you want to buy eggs or whatever. <laughs> it works. I'm always in the supermarket shazam, shazamming a song. Be like, is this Maroon 5 or is this egg? Or what is, <laughs> but I, yeah, I thought I was making, doing something a little more eclectic for the Park Slope food co-op crowd, but apparently not. Mm. <laughs> they want the basic, they want the basic tunes, you know? So I don't know. I'm, I'm getting into it. I feel, I, I did this vinyl thing and, you know, I was saving, I, I, categor, I categorized all my disco stuff in order of beats per minute so I could get faster nice. and faster. But I realized there was so much time from like, eight to 10 when nobody's dancing or anything. It's just, you want to play weird stuff. And I was like, I need to get more weird stuff. I need to, I need to get a more obscure vinyl setup so that I'm for that, for those two hours when pe so that people can be like, what is this man? It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then I showed it to, uh, I, I, I showed my categorization to uh, my friend, Nick from chick, 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 you know, that band chick, chick, chick. And he was like, oh, yeah, pretty good. It's a, kind of a dollar bin thing. I was like, yeah, dollar bin. I love the dollar bin. Who can afford to, who can afford to buy vinyl that's not from the dollar bin? That's what it's all about. It's being yeah. like, can't believe I found this. Exactly. It's only a dollar. Wow. And I would be selling my records for $30, so please. <laughs> <laughs> that's still very reasonable. Still very reasonable. Awesome. No, that's very cool. That's um, what I'm getting into. And then also just, you know, just crank, you know, just trying to, trying to finish up. It, it's once you're doing the live thing and do and being more active, it's harder for me to like, you know, for the, 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 um, when I, the pandemic was a great period of time, I think a lot of artists just cranked out music, you know, yeah. and their lives weren't really that different than being off of a tour cycle. True. You know? So, um, obviously if, you know, people that had just put out albums and were going out on tour and that had to be canceled, that's like super tragic and horrible. And then, and then the way the whole, the way the whole uh, music industry came back with like excessive testing of the artists, it, was, it felt very discriminatory to me. 
Um, but, but you know, we're all just humans just flailing, trying to figure out what the best course of action is. It was pretty unprecedented what was what happened, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if we're fully back from it. I still feel like music was deemed uh, irrelevant. No, what was the, what was the word? Uh, unessential. <laughs> we all kind of realized we were not essential. And now we're trying to crawl back. Yeah. You know, in the face of our corporate techno over overlords who just want to have all of our stuff for free and give it out for people for free. No, it's all right. I, I you know, going back to the, my, most of my music life was paying someone else to, so that I could just learn music. So, yeah. So I don't I feel very privileged that I'm able to, to do this still, you know, for sure. And can't thank you enough for, for chatting with, chatting with me today. Of course. Happy to talk. I love it. Uh, awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Mackenzie.